0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. So turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 13, where we find ourselves uh, this morning. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, it's kind of right in the middle of your New Testament. You'll see uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those guys. Then some names that are hard to pronounce that are names of cities. And then you have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And so we're going to be there in 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you're finding it, let me just make some statements uh, this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our most certain source of hope. Believe that today? If you do, then here's the reality. Because Jesus rose from the dead, then nothing is impossible. The death that was the consequence of our sin that comes to all of us and awaits all of us. Jesus defeated the last enemy, death. Now nothing we can say is impossible. And because Jesus is alive, we then find refuge in his strength and steadfast love for us. And because Jesus has then made us alive, we can keep going in faith one foot in front of the other, come what may. And I realize that these are some confident statements, claims that must be rooted in the authority of God's word, things that we must see for ourselves in our Bible, and which is why I want us to examine today Second Timothy 2. Pastor Eric read for us the the gospel account in John 20. We know the events, and we've even sung with great fervor this morning the reality of the resurrection, but what difference does it all make? How does it help you and me keep going daily, walking in faith in Jesus Christ? And that's the question this morning. What's the significance of this, uh, uh, of this enormous truth? And so before we go any further, let me just read our text this morning that we will uh, hone in on in 2 Timothy 2, like I said, in verses 8 through 13. So look at it here. Let me read it, and then we will explore it deeper. says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory." The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now this is God's word for God's uh, people. And, And we're jumping right into the middle of a letter here. Letter. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. I would encourage you to read it in its entirety. You can do so in all of about 15, maybe 20 minutes, depending upon how quickly you read. But this was a letter written long ago by a guy named Paul, an apostle who wrote much of our New Testament. Uh, All those letters that I was referencing there to churches, churches that uh, many of them he had planted, churches that he had uh, a relationship with. And now he is writing this to his uh, young protege, Timothy, a man that he had seen come to faith and now is himself a a pastor. And and this is likely the, the last letter that Paul wrote. He's an old man. He's in prison now with decades of ministry behind him. Lots of uh, uh, travel, lots of ministry, much of it with Timothy and others uh, here uh, of of preaching the gospel and making disciples and planting churches all throughout that Greco-Roman empire of that day. And now Paul is in prison for doing just that, for preaching the gospel and making disciples and planting uh, churches. And these are his last words, so to speak. The last recorded words that we have, maybe he had others, and he is leaving his legacy. Leaving a legacy of preaching the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. But even more so, he is leaving a legacy of how to make it joyfully to the end. How to get to the end of his life with a great joy. And it's interesting to me that of all he could say, in this last letter, of all he could encourage Timothy with, he acknowledges that life is often hard. He, he, he acknowledges that, that life isn't always easy, and that especially when you uh, devote your life to following the risen, reigning Jesus Christ, it is filled with uh, difficulty. Just uh, turn over for a moment to, to chapter 4. Just flip the page over and, and see this, uh, his, how he ends this letter. And the difficulties in his own life. He says this to Timothy. This is in verse 9. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. He says, do your best to come to me soon. Right? Remember, he's in prison. So he's asking Timothy, come in verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. i gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. look here for a moment, church, like, this is tragic, isn't it? So sad, and a man who had devoted his life to these men, to the planting of churches and the preaching of the gospel, and now he's nearing the end of his life and he's in jail and he's alone. He's cold and he has nothing to do. Talk about it like he left his coat back in Troas, and like, you know, my kids leave their coats to lay around all the time, and this is next level. He's cold, he has nothing to read, and no friends near him. He sent others on, uh, 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 on ministry, and now this mighty man of God it finds himself in a place like this. But he is not without hope. For look how he goes on. Verse 17, but, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be a glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. That's like the most perfectly timed amen in all of human history, right? right. I could just put it there. It's like, oh, to him be glory. Amen. That's right. We say amen there too. But he has this hope. And the question is, how? How does he have this hope? And seeing the, the 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 circumstances of his life. Alone, cold, nothing to read, nothing to do, no friends. How could a man have such hope when alone and in jail? How could anyone endure with joy when life is hard. Well, that's what we discover in our text. That's what he is trying to teach Timothy. That is the legacy and, the, and what he's bringing us to in chapter 2 in the text that I read. And that's why we can say this. Here, here's what Paul believed and what we can take away from this text. You write it down. It's the center point of our text. I will endure when I remember Jesus rose and reigns. I will endure when I remember Jesus rose and reigns. It's an Easter endurance, a resurrection perseverance that keeps him going no matter the hard things in his life. And maybe you're like me, I think humans in this, uh, that often all we can see are the hard things that are going on, right? I think we're just kind of bent like that. Uh, I mean, I get some of you are like the, those eternal optimists, right? That even if there's just a drop of water in the cup, it, it's still uh, like things are still going great, right? But for many of us, it's just, we, all we can see are the obstacles. We can see what is hard so easily. What gets in our, uh, our uh, what we focus on is what is broken what is chaotic, what is, what is out of our control, or what is messed up, or the things that are all backed up. And because of this, we need to remember, we need to put our hope on the things that are good. I started to do this, and often in my own home, that when I get home from work, I regularly will ask Aaron and our kids, what was the best part about your day? What was the best part about their day? Just to help stir our minds, to put a focus on what is good and to remember what God is doing. It's not that I don't care about what is hard. It's not that it's unimportant about what is difficult, but we easily go there. And we need to intentionally redirect, to put in scope uh, what is good and to remember what God is doing. Now, as we come to the the, the text here, note this, that the only command, the only action in these verses in 8 through 13 is this command to remember, to to remember in in a way that is not just like merely recalling information to our minds or or recalling like some significant date. Remember Easter last year. Remember that great meal. Remember our first date. I asked Aaron this the other day. Remember when we were first married. Our 15th anniversary is uh, coming up in a a couple weeks. Remember when we were young and in love. Now, see, to remember isn't just recalling dates to mind or events to mind. The uh, idea of biblical remembering is actively applying the truth of recalling a past action or event and the implications then that that has for our life. Because blank is true, because blank has happened, therefore I can do this. Therefore I will do now do this. And that's why the the command to remember is all over our Bibles. As you read through your Bible and just uh, take note of this and, and, and just have your mind call out the, the, the times where we're told to remember, you will begin to see this repeated all over the place. In Exodus 20, Israel is told to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Just like, are they to recall like, oh yeah, remember what God did on the seventh day? No, they are to reflect what God did. They are to remember his sovereignty, his control over their lives. And so we too can rest under his control. We can rest under his providential workings in our life. And as we remember that, it has implications for our life. All over our Old Testament, where the Bible writers recount the rescue of Egypt or the rescue of the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, rather. Psalm 106 is one of those places where they recount it so that they don't forget. Even in Ephesians 2 in the New Testament, believers, we ourselves, are commanded to remember, to remember that we were at one time separated from the promises of God, that we were lost in our depravity and now have been uh, uh, made part of God's family. It's very interesting. Read Ephesians at some point this afternoon or sometime this week. It's just six chapters. And it's very interesting how it breaks up the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's just all like truths, gospel truths. This is who God is. This is who we are. This is how we're saved. This is what he's doing in the church. This is what God is doing in our lives. And the only thing there and and the only command in those first three chapters or twice in, in chapter two is to remember and then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, there's 40 plus commands. It's as, it's as if Paul's like saying, because these things are true, we remember them. And then now live your life this way. Live your life in the church, in your marriage, in your, uh, in your family, in your workplace. When uh, you're experiencing spiritual warfare, now in light of who God is, remember this and then live like this. We're called to remember. It's not just us who remembers. God himself remembers. God, as you read in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, the account of the flood, that worldwide cataclysm and judgment upon the earth, and you get to uh, chapter 8, and it says, and God remembers Noah. What is he doing there? Because God was like preoccupied with something, you know, he's going on, he's like, oh, yeah, snap, uh, uh, those guys are in the boat and this, water." like, no, like you know how we forget things, that uh, you know we left a, bot, a pot of water boiling on, on the, the stove. Or like, oh, I, re- I remember. No. He's remembering the covenant that he made. He's remembering what well, the promises that he made, the grace in which he's pouring out on them. And Exodus two, as the people of Israel, as I alluded to earlier, are in brutal slavery. Under the Egyptian rulers, it says that God hears their cries and remembers his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is actively remembering and living in light of what he promised to do. And the flip side of this is forgetfulness. As I mentioned in Psalm 106, uh, the, the writer there likens forgetfulness to rebellion. Not just oops, we forgot, but uh, we forgot and therefore it led us into sin. We forgot who God is, who we are. We've forgotten what God has done and now we're walking in rebellion and see. And the flip side then remembering, we can say, is an act of worship. As we remember what he's done and what he is doing now, it is an act of worship. And so our ability and our faithfulness to remember is then indicative of our faithfulness to follow his ways. Likewise, our failure to remember is a leading cause of our sinfulness and our faithlessness. And so, church, on this Easter morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, the command for us today is to likewise Remember, to remember these things and not just, oh, we remember what happened 2000 years ago, but to remember them in such a way that it affects how we live from here on out. And especially when seasons are hard, especially when uh, we are imprisoned, especially when we are in the moments of desperation, like Paul found himself here. And of all the things he could say, he says, remember Jesus Christ And so here's the thing. Let's just take the text. Call uh, lines out five things for us to remember today when things are hard. Here's the first one. Write this down. When things are hard, remember, Jesus has risen. He's risen indeed, right? He defeated death. He is now alive. And, church, look at how we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's why he's, he's coming to Timothy here. Put this before your mind. And of all the life and work of Jesus, from eternity past to eternity future, and the scope of the gospel, the scope of Jesus' person and work in view of Paul right now is not his death on the cross was not the supernatural miracles that he did uh, in his life. In the scope of the gospel right now is on Jesus' resurrection, especially when it is hard. He's saying, put your mind here that Jesus defeated death and is now alive. And we need to keep this as a constant reminder. To keep it constantly before us when things are hard because we, it's not, even though he is alive, it's not like a physical reality, like he's right here. We can see him, but we need to put it before us over and over and over. Paul told Timothy uh, this, he would tell others, churches, and he especially told the Corinthians church that's steeped in sin with all kinds of of problems, but they needed this reminder too. Listen to this. It's 1 Corinthians 15, and he tells them uh, this way. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, again, a reminder, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." These believers, like us, like Timothy, like Paul himself in his uh, loneliness and his imprisonment, needed this reminder. Verse 3 For I delivered to you as of first importance. Redemption, note this there is nothing of higher priority in your life than the good news of Jesus Christ. No truth, no score, no highlight, no political agenda. Nothing in our lives that takes greater importance of higher priority than the good news of Jesus Christ. He delivered this as a first importance, which I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, it's Peter. Then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. He saying, here's, what, here's the reality. Christ is alive. All these witnesses saw it. Paul himself had seen it, and he needed a reminder over and over. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And write this down, church. Because Jesus lives, I have hope. It isn't just a fact that we uh, think about that happened 2,000 years ago, but the reality is because he lives, we have hope. Hope for better days uh, ahead. Hope for an abundant life. Hope for eternal life. Hope for glory with him. Hope that what is uh, true right now in our relationships may not always be true. There are better days ahead. God is working these things out, and because he defeated death, we can have uh, a confidence a hopeful confidence that what God is doing in us and through us is all working out for his good. We must, church, we must remember this in the days when it is hard, that Jesus is risen. But there's a second thing to remember when it is hard, that is Jesus reigns as David's promised king. Write this also down as the text goes on here in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Now, he's referring here as the offspring of David, he is referring back to the Davidic promise in 2 Samuel 7, when God in his grace promised that from David there would be an eternal king to reign on his throne forever and ever. But imagine the disappointment of the Jewish people since the time of David, and into even when they're writing there, that 1,000 years... That had passed, you know, kind of give or take there from the time God made that promise to where uh, they are uh, there, where Paul and Timothy are about a thousand years where king after king had come and gone and failed to fulfill that messianic promise. Fail, you know, the, David's son Solomon looked promising at first, didn't he? time of unparalleled economic blessing in Israel, a a massive wealth, a massive time of peace with their enemies, and it looked promising until it wasn't. Maybe some of the things there fulfilled partially in him, and yet uh, his son then messed it all up, and king after king and divided kingdom on and on. It went until Jesus came. Until Jesus came and Matthew 1 traces the genealogy to show us this. All those names that many of them we can't pronounce and we wonder how all this is making sense. He's coming to show us that this is the promised heir. This is the promised king who now reigns upon the father's throne and will one day take up David's throne and rule for those 1,000 years in church. Because of this, as we remember that he is of the offspring of David, that he reigns, we can have confidence Write that down. Because Jesus reigns, I have confidence. Confidence to continue walking faithfully, confidence to endure when life is hard. See, there's a confidence that we experience when, just as humans, that we have when we trust those who lead us. When we trust those yeah. who, uh, who govern over us at work, we thrive. When we trust the character and the competency of our bosses and the direction of the company, we, we, we thrive there. As citizens, we, we, we dwell peacefully when we trust the policies of our elected f- officials and we exist in peace and harmony with our fellow humans. And as Christians in the church, we can uh, faithfully uh, work, worship and walk and work for Christ when we're led by called and qualified and godly and humble uh, uh, shepherds and those are just a few of things but overall that as Christians we have a confident dependence that no matter what happens in our life we can trust the one who has authority over it all and who controls all the details and everything else in this world who is working it out for our good and this is the good news This is the gospel that that, uh, Paul was preaching here, this confidence and this joy, this good that we have, and he was preaching it, and it also imprisoned him, right? For that very message, the confident hope that we have in the good news of Jesus Christ was what landed him square in jail. See, earthly kings don't like the message now that Jesus is king, Jesus is king, and they don't like those who, when when their agenda, their human agenda, collides with God's agenda. When we are living according to that, it'll produce a suffering and an imprisonment in many forms. Maybe you're walking through a season like that. Life is hard even now because you're trying to faithfully follow Christ, and that doesn't jive with somebody or something else. And yet, church, we can have confidence. We can continue on even when it is hard, even when there is suffering, even when imprisonment, so to speak, is very real. Because there's something else that we can remember there that we recall to mind. Jesus is alive. He reigns and rules on the Father's throne. But we remember this third thing found here at the end of verse 9, that God's word can't be bound. It can't be stopped. It can't be chained up. It can't be locked up. Our bodies may, we might, but God's word can't be. Many have tried and failed over the years. Maybe you've heard the stories of, of different countries and different societies where governments have made the Bible illegal and still it makes its way across borders. Still, it makes its way in. Secular societies have ostracized and even criminalized Christianity and its beliefs, and still the gospel makes its way in and transforms lives. Nothing can stop God's word. Why? Because his word abides in his people. As we take it in, as our lives are changed, we ourselves are are moved by it. And his his word is living and active. And so it can't be locked up. It can't be changed. God has everything at his disposal. And he he laughs at human attempts to thwart his word. And see, here's the reality. We know God's word, the word of God is not bound. And because his word is unbound, here's what we do. We keep proclaiming. Because his word is unbound, we just keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We continue just living faithfully. You may be in a work environment where the Bible is forbidden. But that doesn't stop you from living like Christ. From speaking of of what God is doing in your life. You may be in a family situation where you'd be laughed out of the house if you plopped your Bible down on the dining room table. If you brought the Bible into conversations, you know, that doesn't stop us from setting an example. It doesn't stop us from speaking graciously and winsomely. It doesn't stop us from uh, living for the Lord in these, uh, in, these, uh, in these moments. So we just steady on. We keep being faithful. We keep enduring all things, knowing that God's word does not return to him void. Because even through all of this, when times are hard, when when we're suffering for the sake of the gospel, when things are hard, we must remember this fourth thing, that God's saving purposes also can't be stopped. God's saving purposes can't be stopped any more than God's word can be bound or stopped. Neither can his salvation. Neither can his, 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 uh, his purposes to save his people. Look at verse 10 here as it picks it up. It says, therefore, in light of these things, right? It's like knowing that these things are true, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is reigning, that his word and purposes can't stop. Then Paul says, therefore, himself, he will not quit, Right? Therefore, I endure everything. Chain him, isolate him, beat him, take his coat, take his Bible, take his books, but nothing will stop him. Why? Is he just like a superhero Christian? Do you have more of the Holy Spirit than you or me? Is he. no? He won't quit. He will endure everything because he knows God still has people to save. He still knows God has something to do in his own heart, and there are unbelievers that, uh, that God is putting in his life, the one who controls his life, the one who is providentially working on all the things in his life, in your life, in my life, has an eternal purpose to bring people to obtain salvation in Jesus Christ, that they'll be with him in eternal glory. And this is why he keeps going. He endures everything for the sake of the elect. you see it there? I know, elect, it's one of those squirmy Bible words that make us like, what, what is all this about? What, I, don't, I don't know if I like this. Should I like it? I know that guy doesn't like it. That guy really loves it. Like, what do we do? Church, don't, you don't need to squirm. You need to love this word. You need to love this concept. It's a word to describe those who God loves and saves. Are you saved today? Are you a child of God? Have you been adopted into his family? Been declared righteous, all these biblical concepts for it, and He's elected you into it. Not because we're elite. It's not like some special club. It's not, you know, it's it, it it's a word that captures God's love, the love that He set on us. When we realized that all of us were dead in our sin, all all humanity, we were rebelling against God, left to ourselves, independent, hating God and His ways, and loving our own ways. And despite all of that, God saved us, scooped us out of that to bring us into his family, setting his love upon us, going to the extreme lengths of dying on the cross, of being brutally beaten, things that we remembered and reflected on on Friday, all because of love for And rose again to seal the deal so we would believe it and know that we too will live forever with him. And knowing these truths, knowing the glories of the gospel, this is what keeps Paul going. Nothing can stop him. Death didn't stop him. The cross didn't stop him. And so Paul too is going to keep going because he knows that he's just one of God's means. He's a messenger of the gospel, it's, it's, it's what keeps him going there in prison. These, there's probably people that he is going to encounter, prison guards or others, that now in his old age, that he would have never have crossed paths with had he not been imprisoned. And now God has him here where he can endure the loneliness and, 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 the, and the, the, the torture of prison and all that that entails. And he would continue on because he knows God has a saving purpose there. It's not up to him to save anyone. That's God's job. But it is up to him to tell anyone who will listen. To use the circumstances and the difficulty that he is in as a gospel opportunity. And the same is true for us no matter what our circumstances are. But especially when it is hard. When it is, it is hard. And so write this down. Because our salvation is so glorious, I will endure because we know the glory of of being his children, because we know how awesome he is and how terrifying hell is, we keep going. And we know the truthfulness of that for us, and we want anybody that we know and love and that God would put in our life to know this reality. We want to know. and, And church, I get it. Sometimes this is the only thing that keeps us going. In the moments where it is especially hard of knowing the glory that God has saved us, that glory awaits us, and that that I'm here for, uh, that God has me here to tell somebody about Jesus. Sometimes that's the only thing that keeps us going. It's the only good thing when we get that diagnosis and the pathway forward looks brutal. When, when, when the treatment is there's no hope, then the, the diagnosis is, is, is shocking. The only thing that keeps us going is that glory awaits me and God must have me here to tell somebody else about Jesus. It, 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 in those, those moments where, where we're conflict with those that we love, where we have a long history with where we share the last name or a bank account with them and things are brutal, it looks like there's no way forward. Sometimes the only good, the only thing that we can cling to to keep us going is that glory awaits me and God must have me in this to be a messenger of the gospel. When the grief is excruciating and the loss is insensible, entirely avoidable, and yet here we find ourselves grieving, wondering how can this be good? How will I keep going? because we remember but saving purposes can't be stopped glory awaits me i'm here i'm in this moment because i know jesus has me here to tell somebody about him about the work that he did and it's in these it's moments like that whatever your situation when it's especially hard this is this is the only thing that can keep us going we can endure when we call these life-transforming truths to mind. And it's in these especially tender, especially difficult times when this final truth, when this final thing to remember becomes so sweet. Number five, when things are hard, remember we are united to Jesus. That we've been united with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection. That we, we, we have been made alive with him. A truth we remember at our baptism. A truth that, uh, that carries us on. A truth that we are united with him. In this poem here in verses 11 through 13, really illustrate this. Did you see that? You make that connection? It's a poem. Something maybe it was lyrics to an ancient song in the in the church here. We're not fully sure, but he 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 has this this poem here to illustrate to bring the truths to life to just outline. He says, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. What are we called to remember? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He is alive Jesus died and rose and so then we too both physically and spiritually have died with him spiritually we died to sin died to ourselves. one day we will physically die but made alive in Christ Jesus we're united with him in this but also secondly we remember what that Jesus is the offspring of David that he is reigning as David's promised king verse 12 says if we endure we will also reign with him Another uh, truth, uh, something Paul mentions in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 6, that we too, as we are resurrected, we will reign with God, judging the angels. We will sit with him in glory. Uh, I think a truth that we don't fully understand, and yet here in our unity with Christ, uh, so true. But the flip side is also, he says, if we deny him and don't proclaim the word, right? He will also deny us. It's kind of sobering here. Huh? Sobering of the reality. We'll do our words match? Do we really truly believe that God's word is unbound? Are we really fearless in how we proclaim uh, the gospel or do we uh, shy away when it comes time to speak of Christ? Jesus warned of this in Matthew chapter 10. Warns that, hey, persecution is coming. Life is going to be hard. Not everybody is going to like me and the message. And therefore, if you claim to follow me, guess what? Not everybody's going to like you or the message of the gospel. And so he warns them. Let me just read it here. Matthew 10, it's 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So, Paul's just picking up in 2 Timothy what uh, Jesus uh, laid down in Matthew uh, 10. And he's saying, this, that Your words are going to uh, show whether you are truly, what's truly in your heart, the same way that our actions do. He's getting on verse 13. If we're faithless, all right, well, guess what? God will remain faithful. He can't deny himself, he can't deny his, their, the unity that exists between the, the Trinity there we're faithless, well, Jesus can only be faithful to the Father. And so these things, these are sobering for us to remember. Do my words, do my actions truly demonstrate what is in my heart? Ooh, if a tree bears the fruit. If we have the fruit of our heart, if we've been saved, we've repented of our sin, believed in Christ, then not that we're perfect in acknowledging Christ, not that we're perfect in our faithfulness. But something to remember today. And if we are, if we are, note this if I'm united because I'm united to Jesus by faith, I will live, I will reign, I will be faithful, good as done. It, it, it's because it doesn't revolve around us. We're not, these things don't happen because we just muster up the courage to do it, we just muster up the strength to do it. But it happens because Christ did it. And so note the note the the the, the kind of the progression here in our, our passage, even just in like the verb tenses. It is all this is rooted in Jesus' past actions. See that? Risen from the dead, his offspring. All this stuff happened in the past. It's his past action, our present sufferings, but also our future hope. We will live. We will reign, right? All these things future true. All this hope grounded in what Jesus did. His death on the cross, his raising from the dead, his reigning now at the throne of God. And it's this that is the story of Easter, what he's done. It's the endurance then that Easter perpetuates. The perseverance in us that the resurrection makes possible. That's why we can be confident in Christ that no matter what is happening in our life, no matter what awaits you tomorrow morning, we that Jesus is alive. He reigns. His word is at work. His purposes can't be stopped. And we are united to Him. Redemption, let us not be a people who forget. But let us remember today, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, now crowned as king. And as we remember, let us remember and press on with joyful endurance, all by the grace of God. Would you pray with me to that end? God in heaven. As so we think on your word, we uh, come, God, knowing our own circumstances. Difficulty, hardship, whatever it might be. And so we just begin, as we pray now, responding, just uh, of bringing our, uh, our circumstances to you, God. Now, God, this relationship is hard. This circumstance is hard. I don't know the way forward in this thing, God. Uh, hear, hear these situations. And Lord, even this act, we bring them to you not because we think that you're unaware of them, not because you need like a text alert to pay attention to them, but we bring them to you, God, acknowledging that you are the only one who can fix these things. You are the only one who can help. You are the only one that can press forward, God. And so we're just acknowledging it to you And in the same breath, thanking you now for being alive and giving us hope, for reigning now and giving us confidence. Where would we be apart from you? Help us to view these circumstances now, God, through that lens, through the lens of your resurrection, through the lens of uh, your reign over our lives, through the lens of your saving purposes, God. Help us see these things through the gospel lens. So we trust you to do that, Lord. Even as we celebrate today, even as we uh, 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 make much of who you are and the fact that you are alive, know that these resurrection truths help us to press on, fill up our tank, give us a, a supernatural strength and perseverance to continue on for the sake of your glory. So Christ, we lift you high. We remember you died. You rose again. We praise you because of it. pray these things now in the name of Christ and all redemption said, amen.